following sermon was delivered at Antioch Presbyterian Church, a mission work of Calvary Presbytery of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Woodruff, South Carolina. For more information about Antioch Presbyterian Church, please visit AntiochPCA.com or contact us at info at AntiochPCA.com. May the Lord bless you as you receive gracious instruction from His Word. Have you ever been lost? I mean, really lost. I've been lost many times. But the most frightening time was a number of years ago, we were duck hunting in Mississippi. And we walk into a cypress break, which is water waist deep, with cypress trees three or four feet apart. That's all it is, except the ducks that come in. Well, in the morning, we would walk in with a, the last star over our right shoulder. That take us directly to the spot. And then we would walk out to the rising sun. This particular morning, a fog came in. And there was no rising sun to be seen. So we began to try to get out. Now, the age-old thing with the moss on the north side of the tree, that doesn't work in the south. That's fine in the north, as we discovered. But in the south, the moss grows on all sides of the tree. And so what we were doing eventually was we recognized things. We were walking around in circles. You can't imagine being lost waist deep in water, trying to find your way out of this immense forest. It took us hours to get out of there. And perhaps you've had an experience like that, or you've been lost on the road and place you should have gotten to in one hour. It took you many hours to get there. You know the feelings of, of dismay, despair, anxiety. Well, being lost physically, in fact, is analogous to being spiritually depressed, um, spiritually uh, in a deep hole, uh, distressed, uh, uh, depressed. Uh, that Perhaps you've been there as well, and you know that feeling of, again, dismay and, and hopelessness, blackness and doom. Perhaps it was something because of a bad decision that you made. Maybe God was actually chasing you because of sin. Sometimes God simply takes us through these times in order to train us and to shape us in the image of Christ. But I'm sure that many of you have found yourself in this type of situation. Well, we saw three weeks ago, that's the situation where Job was. It's the thing that he has been mourning uh, Throughout most of this book, yes, he suffered the physical deprivations. He suffered the the death of his children. He's got this uh, incurable disease. But the the deep gloom and darkness came from the absence of God. He had walked with God. He he knew God. He had uh, God's testimony to him that he was blameless and upright. A God-fearer who turned away from evil and suddenly God wasn't there. He was, uh, he was spiritually lost. Now, when you're lost, you need a couple of things. A compass and a map. After that day, my friend and I never went back into the woods without a compass. We learned our lesson. And we all know that maps can be helpful, even if it is an electronic map on a GPS. Um, we need maps, and I still like hard maps because GPS is not always reliable. 
I have a friend who named his GPS Delilah because it often betrayed him. So we need compasses and we need maps to get through life physically. Well, see, this is also true spiritually. So as Job is in the first seven verses expressing this dismay one more time, um, he comes to a, a point of confidence uh, to a degree when he says in verses 6 and 7, Would he contend with me by the greatness of his power? No, surely he would pay attention to me. There the upright would reason with him, and I would be delivered forever from my judge. So Job has, has grabbed hold of something here. He, he senses that there perhaps is a way out. And what Job gets hold of is a compass and a map gets hold of the compass of God's character and the map of God's word. That's what we all need in our times of spiritual distress or depression. The compass of God's character and the map of God's word. And what we see here is when we have the compass of God's character and the map of God's word, he will sustain us in the midst of dark and deep trials and difficulties. Now, we're going to look at three things as the compass and math. The faithfulness of God in verses um, 8 through 12. The sovereignty of God in verses 13 and 14. And the grace of God in verses 15 to 17. Well, Job first gets the compass and the map of the faithfulness of God in verses 8 through 12. In verses 8 and 9, he again expresses this sense of lostness. He said it in verse 3, Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come to his seat. Now in verse 8, Behold, I go forward, he's not there. I go backward, I cannot perceive him. Uh, when he acts on the left, I cannot behold him. When he turns on the right, I cannot see him. Now notice he begins with this word, Behold. Uh, he's emphasizing the great difficulty of his lostness. And he spells it out in terms, really, of the points of a compass. Uh, Because in the ancient Middle East, uh, to go uh, the first direction that he has here, uh, forward is to go east. To go forward was to go east. Thus, boys and girls, to go opposite way would be to grow west. And if east is forward, then left would be North and right would be south. And so what he's saying here is is that considering just generally the points of the compass, he is absolutely lost. He doesn't have a, a working compass at this point. And so as he goes one direction, God's not there. He can't discern God acting. He goes the opposite direction and he doesn't find God. And that's true then of going north and south. He can't behold him. He can't see him. And here is this sense of lostness one more time that has pervaded so much of Job's experience. But you see, verse 10 as a eureka moment begins with an adversative. But I'm lost. I can't find God. But he knows the way I take, or the way with me. When he has tried me, 
I shall come forth as gold. Now, do you see what Job is saying here? He said, although I cannot find God, God knows exactly where I am. God knows exactly the predicament that I'm in. God knows exactly all that that dismays me, all that I fear. And he comes then to this glorious conclusion that he's not being punished for gross sins, as his sins said, as his friend said, but rather he was being tried by God. And so we look at the second half of verse 10. When he's tried me, I shall come forth as gold. He says, God has put me in a furnace. Just as precious metals, gold and silver, are put in a furnace in order to burn off the dross, God puts us in this furnace, even as we read in our New Testament uh, reading. Uh, in this you greatly rejoiced. Now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory to the honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Job said, God knows my way, and God has put me in this furnace of these trials, but he's done so not to punish me, but to try me and to refine me. And it's that insight, or that insight is based in on his concept that God is faithful. So he, he spells it out in verses 11 and 12. He says, my foot held fast to his path. I've kept his way and not turned aside. Now here's his conscience again testifying that uh, he had walked according to the path of God. The language here, uh, boys and girls, my, my foot held fast to his path is the idea of a, of a track. Uh, maybe that a Mountain mule would walk up a mountain on. It's a, it's a beaten and secure path. It's, it's God's trail. This language is used, for example, sing Psalm 17, 5, at the conclusion of our service. And so the word of God here is, is or the revelation of God is compared then to um, this path. Um, and Job says that, you know, although I turn east, west, north, south, I can't find God. I have not turned aside from walking in the way of God, just as we read in Deuteronomy chapter 10. And so his conscience enabled him to know that he was walking faithfully. Thus, because God is faithful, he was not in the trials because of sin. Yes, purging of sin, sanctification and such but not punishment. He furthers that by saying, I've not departed from the command of his lips. I've treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. So again, he knows that uh, he has not turned aside. And look at this uh, expression, the command of his lips. Now, you remember Job didn't have a page of a written Bible. Okay? He had what... The old writers called the living word of God, uh, to which the writer of the Hebrews refers in the first few verses, the way that God spoke in times past. Audibly, 
uh, to the saints from Adam on. They then, by God's Spirit, would communicate those messages to those who would come after them. Periodically, he would speak by a vision or audibly, but it was always this living word. But notice the confidence that they had in even the living word. What does Job call it? The words of God's mouth. He had no question that this revelation that he had received was a divine revelation. And it speaks to us then of the what we refer to as the self-authenticating nature of God's word. We say that about our Bibles. But the Spirit would bring that same impress upon a spoken revelation that was passed on within the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a glorious thing, isn't it, to understand that this revelation and our Bibles are the word of God's mouth. And because it's the word of God's mouth, then what we understand is the faithfulness of God. That God is not going to cast off one who has sought to walk in the ways of his word. Because God is true to himself. He's true to his promises. He's true to his people. He will never leave you or forsake you. You understand that. This is the the compass of God's character is his faithfulness. The map that teaches us of God's faithfulness is his revelation. Now, there are two very important lessons here in the first place, and we've said this many times, but the necessity of keeping a good conscience. A good conscience is the testimony of your conscience that even though you sin every day, you do not cling to those sins, you confess those sins, and you seek to walk in holiness. Because if you do that in the midst of trial, in the midst of depression and despondency, the Spirit will enable you to look to your conscience and to know, and this is one of the grounds of assurance, remember from the confession, evidences, evidences of Christian character. You cannot have those apart from maintaining a good conscience. That's why we confess our sins throughout the day regularly, why we confess our sins to one another when we sin against them, that we might have this good conscience. And the second thing, though, is look here at the, the beauty of God's word. I've treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. So we sang in Psalm 19 that the psalmist found the word sweeter than the sweetest honey. In Job 22, he, he was promised if he repented that God would be his better than the gold and all that a delight. And if God is your delight, God's word is going to be your delight. And it's going to be more than your necessary food. You know how bad it is in the morning if you've got your medical test and you can't have your coffee or your tea? It's pretty bad. Well, do you feel the same way if for some reason you were deprived for time with the word, perhaps in providence you couldn't have it? Did that, did that bother you in the same way, not physically, but to be without your necessary food, without the word of God? Not superstitiously. It's not that you're going to have unlucky day, but because you've missed that time of, of communion and fellowship and prayer and nourishment. And so you must cherish the word of God. And through that word, God then bears witness to you of his faithfulness. And so Job had the compass of God's character of faithfulness and the map that revealed to him the way in which he should walk. And if he walked in that way, 
He knew that he could walk with the God who was faithful. So don't forget the faithfulness of God and his purposes, even as uh, we sing in How Firm a Foundation, when through fiery trials your pathway shall lie, my grace all sufficient shall be your supply. The flame shall not hurt you. I only design your dross to consume and your gold to refine. It's because of God's faithfulness then that we know this and what we had in our opening meditation. This is what we can say to ourselves. God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you've shown toward his name and have ministered and is still ministering to the saints. God is not unjust to forget. He's faithful. In the midst of dark gloom, you tell yourself, God is faithful. That's your compass. That's your map. Well, uh, the second uh, compass and map is God's sovereignty. And Job expresses this in verses 13 and 14. Now, in verse 13, he's got this most wonderful statement about God's sovereignty. But he is unique. Who can turn him? And what his soul desires, that he does. Uh, the, the, the translation he's unique is literally, he is one. And not primarily referring to the fact that God is, is one God and not many gods, but that he is uniquely one. In other words, he is a sovereign God who is and of himself. He's one, so nobody can turn him from his purposes. He's not wishy-washy. He is what we say immutable, which means he is unchangeable. So the faithful God is a sovereign God who is unique. Notice then what his soul, and interesting when it talks here about God's soul, it's not about his intentions and his purposes. What his soul desires, that he does. That is a great confession. It is one of the primary confessions of the Bible, and it's so often denied today, even in evangelical churches, that God is uniquely one, and whatever he, whatever he desires, he does. But now notice in verse 14 how Job will apply that then. For, because he's sovereign, he performs what is appointed for me. And many such decrees are with him. Now he's resting in the sovereignty of God. He says, whatever God is doing, I know that he's doing what he has appointed for me. In fact, we know that God's decree is one, but as they work out in our lives, we can refer to them in the plural. He has many such decrees. So Job says that his life is enveloped in the holy, sovereign purpose of God. That God was working out his decrees on behalf of Job. You see, Job wasn't caught up in blaming second causes. The Chaldeans, the Sabians, Mother Nature, Satan. No, He recognized that behind everything that was going on, yes, even the dark gloom of despondency, God was acting sovereignly. I've shared with many of you, and probably already in this pulpit, that the first time I preached through Job, it actually revolutionized my approach to what we call second causes. I become much less concerned with what other people do with uh, other people's responsibilities. Of course, we want justice and and we want uh, equity, but 
as we sing, whate'er my God ordains is right. He is not off the throne. He is foreordaining whatever comes to pass. And this means for you. Now, every one of you here today, even you boys and girls, all you maybe know what it means, believe in the sovereignty of God. You believe that God has foreordained what comes to pass. But do you believe that experimentally? Can you believe that when your baby is lying in the hospital? Do you believe that when you're being slandered? Do you believe that when the doctor tells you you have cancer? Or you don't have really enough money to buy groceries the next week? Or your spouse has left you? You see, this is where you must come with this doctrine. It must be the doctrine that gives you backbone. Doctrine that enables you to say from your heart, my God is sovereign. He's faithful. He's my father. And whatever he ordains is right. God's sovereignty is your compass. It's revealed in the word. It's your math. Which brings us then to the third thing. His faithfulness. His sovereignty, but kind of crowning it all is his grace. In the last three verses, again, Job in verses 15 and 16 kind of steps back in horror. Therefore, I would be dismayed at his presence. Now, you notice this is coming out of God's sovereignty. God's appointed these things. Because of that, I would be dismayed at his presence when I consider I'm terrified of him. It's God who's made my heart faint and the Almighty who has dismayed me. So even as he's, he's looked at the compass, he's considered the map, he's come to these convictions about God's faithfulness and God's sovereignty, suddenly he looks upon God in the nakedness of his divine majesty and sovereignty and he steps back in horror. He's gotten too close to the heat. He feels it. And as he considers who God is in himself, he says, I've asked for his presence, but in fact, I would be dismayed. This is God. I'm terrified of him. It's God, he said, who made his heart faint. It was God who put him into this predicament. Notice the word, the almighty, the sovereign, all-powerful God has dismayed him. He comes to this realization of who God is. I thought of those words of, about Aslan that C.S. Lewis wrote, boys and girls, when he said that he's not tame. He's not tame. And God is not tame. He's God. He does what he pleases. Absolutely holy and, and full of majesty. And Job steps back. He, he has a sense of, of, of the Isaiah experience. God, he's, he's God's glory. Woe am I. I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. But notice again, there's a contrast. But, but, the adversity, I'm not silenced by the darkness nor deep gloom which covers me. Now, what's this confession? If he's dismayed, he draws back in horror. How can he say, I'm not silenced? He's reminded, he has reminded himself of the grace of God. Isaiah experienced the grace of God. And so the cherub brought the coal and put it to his lips and testified to him that 
he had been cleansed of his iniquity. And, and what Job is saying here is that, yes, God is terrible, he's awesome, but Job knew God's mercy. Remember how after chapter 19, everything began to change. Once he had this confession that he had a mediator, and that this mediator would stand on the earth, he would see him with his own resurrected eyes. The whole tone changes at that point. He knew he was a sinner saved by grace. But now he's growing the realization God has provided the entrance. He comes not in himself, even though he's not a wicked sinner. He is a righteous and sanctified man. But he can only come through the mediator. He comes by the grace of God. And that delivers him now from his despair in terms of drawing back in horror from God. You see, it's the grace of God that in the midst of your trials and suffering it will become the compass that your God does not deal with you according to your deserts and your sins. Your God deals with you according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And the concept of loving kindness has not yet been revealed. It will be revealed in Exodus 34, God's covenant love. But that undergirds this. God's covenant love is his grace. He doesn't deal with you in your sins. Blessed be his name. He deals with us out of covenant love through, for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as you rest in Christ, regardless of the outward circumstances, even though you might still be depressed, you might still be in this spiritual state of desertion, look, consider the grace of God because God in grace will not cast you off. He's faithful. God in grace is sovereign and his holiness and majesty will not consume you even though you feel right now as you are in the furnace that you're being consumed. But just as our Savior stood in the furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and kept them from being consumed by the fire, your Savior is with you in the furnace. You understand that? By his grace, he's there. The dross will be consumed, but you will not be destroyed. And so in these times, we need the compass and map of God's character and of God's word to sustain us in our trials, afflictions, but particularly in our dark times of depression. It might not go away. Of spiritual distress, God might remain hidden for a while. But you have the compass and the map. So three very important things. In the first place, understand the importance of knowing your Bible. You see, Job didn't have a Bible, but he knew the the words of God's mouth. And that sustained him. You've got a Bible. How well do you know it? Are you diligent about spending time in it daily? Are you teaching your children now how to read the Bible? Are you boys and girls beginning to read the Bible and and to commune and pray with God? To meditate over what you're reading. Pray over what you're reading. and, And grow in your grasp of the truth of God. Because you will remain lost without the map. Do you understand that? And so you must know your map. And know it better and better. 
Second, then you must know God's character. Now, only through the Bible can you know God's character. But there you meet with him. And he reveals himself to you. But I encourage you particularly to meditate on chapter 2 of the Confession of Faith. Three enormous paragraphs that tell you really all the Bible has to say about God. Not that it unpacks it, but who he is with respect to himself, who he is with respect to his purpose in the world, and who he is as the triune God. Go there often. Meditate on those attributes. Job knew three. You've got the whole panoply revealed to you. Go there and familiarize yourself with the compass. But there's one more thing. When you have a compass and you have a map and it's dark, what do you need? A light. And you have the light. He who is the light of the world. Job knew the Savior from the distance in a shadowy form. But you know him in the full reality as the God-man whom we have been confessing in our shorter catechism. And so, uh, praise God that he is, he is the light of God's revelation. He shines his light on the compass. He shines his light on the word. He shines his light in your heart. You know him as your savior. You know that he is the epitome of faithfulness and of sovereignty and of grace and every other attribute of God because he is the revelation of God. And so you, you cling to Christ. You cling to Christ. Even as, as we read again in Deuteronomy 10, we, we cling to God. We cling to God by clinging to Christ. You take hold of him. You follow hard after him. You rest in him because he is the glorious savior of his people. And so you've got a map and a compass. May God strengthen you if you're in such a predicament now and when it comes time for you to be there to use the compass and to use the map. Amen. Our holy God, we, we thank you for um, this revelation to us of, of how you will uphold us in the midst of trials and depression. Uh, we thank you, Lord, that you've given us the compass of your character, the map of your word, the Savior to shine his light on it. And Lord, we ask that you will truly bless these truths to us experimentally. And enable us to grow in confidence as we walk with you. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Antioch Presbyterian Church. We are located in the historic Cashville community of Woodruff, South Carolina, near the intersection of South Carolina Highways 101 and 417. For more information about Antioch Presbyterian Church, please visit AntiochPCA.com.